peace and beauty of the bells have ushered us already very close to the heart of God. Friends, good morning. Welcome to our 945 service. Uh, those of you who are physically present in the room, those of you who are also physically present, you're just online. Welcome uh, to the second Sunday of Advent. And I mentioned those of you who are online, let me say something to you. Uh, some of you I've never laid eyes on because you're in other states and countries. So we're so honored that you join us. I would love to hear from you how you're doing. Some of you are close by and I'll run into you at the store or something. You'll say, I see you on TV, which is great. I, I do miss you know, the handshake, the fist bump, the hug. Also looking at your face and asking how you're doing and hearing that, drop me a note. Let me know how you're doing. Let me know if there are ways that I might pray for you during uh, this season. That would be great. Uh, some of you are visiting with us. We're super honored that you have come. We hope you'll come back. Uh, we hope you'll leave us contact information. We'd love to reach out to you this week. Um, my name is James Howell, and I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Jessica. J and Jessica, you and Daryl, you're coming to my party tonight, staff party tonight. Okay. No kidding. Why that's on my mind. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Jessica Dace. Good morning. It is good to be together in worship. We want to make sure you know about some exciting things happening. This afternoon is our Kneeling at the Manger. This is an event for kids, young, old, anybody that is wanting to come and celebrate. This is a wonderful evening put on by our children's ministry. You'll want to make sure to check that out. Also, right now and later this evening, we have our Festival of the Crush on the second floor, the main lobby. You'll want to swing by there. Um, there's lots of different uh, nativity scenes and sets on display um, that are really beautiful, so you'll want to check that out. And last but not least, um, tomorrow, Monday night at 6.30, right here, we have our beautiful Hope and Consolation service. And this is a wonderful service of, for anyone um, that is grieving, for anyone that has suffered loss. Um, this is a time just to acknowledge um, during this season it can be hard. Um, so it is a time for us to come together and be amongst community um, and support one another. So I hope that you will take the time to join us. That's tomorrow evening at 6.30 right here. Friends, it is good to be together. The presence of God is among us. So let us continue on in worship. of reading as we light the first candle. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep, deep darkness, on them has light shined. We light this candle in peace.
of God, let us join our voices together as we profess our faith through the Apostles' Creed. It can be found in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. in this season of Advent, we are reminded of just how far God will go to come and dwell among us. God knows us deeply and intimately, so it is with that that we can confidently confess our sins before God. Please join me in the prayer of confession. Wonderful Counselor, we lay our foolishness and brokenness at your feet. Guide us into your wisdom. Mighty God, our pride and quest for power cause more harm than good. Open our hearts to your strength and weakness. Everlasting Father, forgive us for staying far from our home with you. Restore our kinship with you, O God. Prince of peace, conflict, fear, and rancor plague us. Let us believe your promises and gifts of mercy. O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us. Friends, hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen.
The Psalter reading is Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, you whose glory above the heavens is chanted by the mouth of babes and infants. You have founded a bulwark because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have established, what is my man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Isaiah said, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The whole business about Mighty God, Israel had uh, grown accustomed to patterns of thought that were paradoxical, that were laughable to people in the ancient world. Every time the Bible talks about God's power, God talks about an infant, small child. In this case, Israel's in huge trouble, and Isaiah says our hope is uh, this pregnant woman's belly, a child about to be born, a child about to be born. When we think about God being a mighty God, uh, we, we begin at Christmas. Maybe we end at Christmas. What could be more unmighty than an infant? Except I discovered something uh, when our firstborn Sarah came along. I was a pastor of a church up in Northeast Charlotte at the time. And the men of the church were, uh, I think they liked to um, intimidate me. And they were good at it. Um, they all had big, gruff voices and hollered at me a lot. But more importantly, though, they, they were men who worked with their hands. So like, they, I have like little weenie soft hands, you know. There they are. But these men, they all worked with their hands, so they had big, calloused hands. And I dreaded when the service would end because they'd all come back. And I could see. They're like, I'm going to show him. And they'd grab my hand, crunch, like, oh. I was intimidated by these men. My daughter Sarah was born. I brought her to church. Uh, they seemed interested. I was afraid they would harm her. <laughs> but these men with the big, gruff voices, they would come up and wonder what happened to their big, gruff voices. Suddenly it would be, oh, hi, oh, who's this? Oh, little one, oh. And they would reach out with those big, strong, calloused hands, and they would become just soft as pillows. Oh, let me hold her. So lovely. The power. Of an infant. His name shall we call it Mighty God. The Hebrew there is pretty interesting, El Gabor. Uh, what it, if you just looked at it, what it really means is divine hero. We're going to have a divine hero. I worry about the whole idea of having a hero is in some demise in our culture. If I ask you, who is your hero? Well, you know, how are you going to answer that? Heroes, uh, demise. Instead, what we have today, instead of heroes, we have celebrities. Oh, we can name a lot of them. I don't know, Taylor Swift, um, LeBron James, um, Kardashians. 
One of my kids, I said, asked one of my kids, I said, are the Kardashians, is that a celebrity? They said, yeah. I said, what are they famous for? And my daughter said, I don't know. They're just famous for being famous, which is like a thing. What celebrities do, right, is that they glamorize. What do they glamorize? They don't glamorize goodness, wisdom, holiness. They glamorize wealth, good looks, coolness, I don't know, all of that stuff. And if we have heroes at all, it's the it's people that do stuff for us. I grew up on Saturday mor morning watching the cartoon Mighty Mouse, so some, some terrible thing would happen, and Mighty Mouse would spring into action singing, Here I come to save the day. Still want Evan to sing that for us. One Sunday choral arrangement. It's the way we think about our troops abroad, right? There are heroes, they do something for us that we needn't do. This is different from what Christopher Lash, the great social commentator, wrote. He said, in a narcissistic, self-pleasing pleasing culture, that's what we have, we welcome celebrities. Why? Because we lack imagination and courage. Or you have Aunt May's words to Peter Parker, Spider-Man, in the Spider-Man 2 movie. He's about to give up, and she says this, Lord knows kids like Henry need a hero courageous, self-sacrificing people, setting examples for all of us. Everybody loves a hero. People will tell how they stood in the rain for hours just as a glimpse of the one who taught them to hold on a second longer. I believe there's a hero in all of us that keeps us honest, gives us strength, makes us noble, and finally allows us to die with pride. I mean, I wonder if the season of Advent should be regarded as a season of training in being heroic. It's a season when we think about having courage and realizing the hero that is in all of us. Oh, mighty God, the Israelites in Isaiah say, what is that? Man, do we need a mighty God because the Assyrians sure look mighty. Just, just the names of the Assyrian rulers make you tremble. They were so mighty. Uh, their names were not things like Emmanuel, God with us, or Wonderful Counselor. Their names were things, things like Cheglath-Pileser III. I mean, you're shaking your boots just hearing the dude's name. Shalmaneser, Ashurbanipal. These were powerful men. Their game was intimidation. They had the armies to back it up. Israel wanted a mighty God. I mean, don't we need a mighty God? What could save Gaza? What could save you and me? Thinking of Gaza, I've told you before about the time it's documented. Mother Teresa, this was in 1980, she went to Beirut in Lebanon, a war related to the one we see today, right? And she came there with her Sisters of Charity, and when she got to the entrance of the city, they said, you can't come in, the fighting is too intense. She said, we're not afraid, we want to come in. They said, you can't come in. She said, when can we come in? They said, well, when there's a ceasefire. She said, when will there be a ceasefire? The guy said, no time soon. She said, my sisters and I will pray for a ceasefire. <laughs> And one came that night. And Teresa and her sisters came into the city and began to heal people. You have the story of Francis of Assisi, who went off with the Crusaders to slaughter the Muslims in the Holy Lands. And when he got there, he, they all had armor and weapons, and he went out unarmed, and the Muslims started to slaughter him with their sabers. But he looks so pitiful. They took him to the Sultan Malik al-Kamil, befriended him, bought peace for a while. Those were heroic actions, but they had to show up. Some courage was required. 
Uh, here, here's the thing. If we talk about mighty God, we are fueling the skepticism of cynics, those who scoff at Christianity. And you know, uh, they're popular in all the bookstores. The best-selling religion books are not by pious people. They're by the likes of Barterman's, Christopher Hitchens, the, the new atheists who trash, they think, Christianity, that best-selling tribe. And the image that they love to use is something like Simon Blackburn did this, said that you think there's a God and you think that God is mighty. The, the idea is like God has an apartment building, and in this apartment building there are leaks everywhere. There's toxic stuff and the walls. Uh, you can't lock the doors. Thieves are coming in all the time. It's just the worst place to live. But the owner of the apartment building says, I could do something to fix this, but I choose not to. They say, such a God is not very mighty, or they say, such a God is not, not. I loved in seminary uh, reading Jürgen Boltmann's wonderful book, The Crucified God, where, I'll never forget, it's on page 78, <laughs> where he talked about the definitions that we assume must apply to God. God must be omniscient, omnipotent, infinite, all those omni and in and words. He says God is better than all of the omni words, right? You say that God is omnipotent, God is omni. He said God's better than that because God is love. Love. You can't love omnipotence, Tiglath Pileser the third, so you can't love a guy like that. <laughs> but God comes in the form of Jesus, just a little infant in a manger. I mean, that you can love. God wants love. And when you want love, what you don't have is power. If you try to apply power to love, you ruin the love. If you try to control those that you think you love, you're not loving them any longer, and they will not love you in return. They will only be controlled. God's game is love. And when you love, your heart gets broken. Stuff happens. What we see in the world, that's how it goes when God is love instead of omnipotence. Uh, but then we look for miracles, don't we? Uh, the world's a mess, and we're a mess. We want, we want a miracle. We want God to intervene. We want a miracle. I mentioned this uh, recently, Albert Einstein, uh, Walter Isaacson's great uh, biography of him. He thinks a lot about Einstein and his faith or lack of faith. And one of the things that he says is that for Einstein, it was the absence of miracles that reflected divine providence. The fact that the cosmos is comprehensible, that it follows laws, is worthy of awe. And I read that to you, and you like that. Like, God's in the, the laws of the universe. It's predictable. It unfolds as it should. Like, we like that. You like it until the doctor says, ooh, it's um, malignant. You like it until the doctor says, it's Alzheimer's. You like it until the doctor says, it's terminal. And then you really wish the world would not unfold according to the laws and predictability of nature. You begin to reach for a miracle. And you pray. And we all pray, as we should, but how, what happens with those prayers? I think about this. It's been my great privilege, given what I do for a living, uh, to pray for a lot of people over a long period of time. I, I love doing that. I'm honored when you ask me to pray for you. But I have to tell you, 
Something about my track record, uh, when people ask me to pray for uh, a knee replacement, I have a really high success rate in my prayers. I'm not being silly, I do. But when it's uh, pancreatic cancer or Alzheimer's, I don't know. I don't have a success rate at all. I was doing a building tour the other day, taking some of our donors to see the building that's coming up. I told them to stop and pay special attention to the columbarium. They looked at it and I said, you should be especially interested in the columbarium because one day this will be your home. <laughs> and the question is, when will it become my home? How will that unfold? We have our hope and consolation service tomorrow night. And when you come and light a candle and cry unashamedly, one of the questions you can ask, is it better to go or to be left behind? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. There's a hole forever in the family photos of somebody that used to be there, and you Photoshop that person in, in your memory. My favorite Christmas photos from my childhood all involve uh, being with my grandfather, Papa Howell. He was just fabulous. And I remember after he died, just thinking, Christmas will never be the same. I remember as a child even having the thought of, Papa Howell just is Christmas. But now he's gone. We pray. And it's not futile to pray. We should pray. Madeline Lingle, love this. Uh, her husband, Hugh Franklin, was uh, He'd uh, gone in for a biopsy, and they were over this long weekend waiting for the uh, results. And she prayed all weekend, Lord, please don't let it be malignant. Lord, please don't let it be malignant. Lord, please let it be benign. She told a friend this who said, you can't pray that way. It already is malignant or not. And she brushed off that idea. She said, I have to pray as my heart prays. And then she adds this, prayer is love. And love is never wasted. Surely these prayers have sustained me and are sustaining me. Perhaps there will be unexpected answers to these prayers. That's how we feel a lot of the time. Perhaps there will be unexpected answers to these prayers, answers I may not even be aware of for years. But my prayers are not wasted. They are not lost. I do not know where they have gone, but I believe that God holds them, hands outstretched to receive them like precious pearls. We do our part here. We pray. We offer those we love and ourselves to God and then trust that God, with those strong, gentle hands, has welcomed them. That is God's eternal mightiness. Uh, here, here's the last thing that's a little bit odd. Uh, when the Bible talks about the power of God, it, it seems to imply always that God works in the dark. God works in hidden ways. God works in the dark. When the farmer farms, the farmer farms by day when the sun is up, but then the farmer goes to sleep at night, but God's hand is still on the garden, causing things to grow underground in the dark. Lisa and I have a friend who's a, 
landscaper. Her business is called Luna. She works at night. This is so interesting. She shows up after the sun goes down, and you go to bed, and you get up in the morning, and like, wow, look at that. <laughs> she works in the dark. This is a kooky story, but when I thought about working in the dark, this idea came to me, this memory. The first uh, major holiday I spent with Lisa's family, it was Thanksgiving. We were engaged, but not yet married. The family was uh, gathered at their house up at Lake Genalusco. I was kind of nervous around her family. I wanted them to like me. I didn't know if they liked me. They were kind of stuck with me now because we were engaged. I didn't know. So I was sleeping, you know, in the front room, and it's dark. It's 4 or 5 in the morning. This is before you could, you know, make your phone into a light. It was just pitch black dark. And I hear the sound, this, I don't know what this sound is. It sounds like, I don't know what it is. It sounds like, I don't know, maybe... We're up there in the mountains. Some creature has gotten into the house and is e eating away at something or maybe is eating our Thanksgiving food. I don't know. And I, I thought, I, I, I should do something. I, you, you won. You just, I should do something too. I mean, think if I saved the family. Like, they would like me <laughs> so much. So I got out of bed and I opened the door quiet. I didn't want to wake anybody up. And I followed the sound. It's just right around the corner. And I, I hear it. And it's at the kitchen door, and I look like this in the dark, and, and there, just with the light of the oven, there's my mother-in-law, and she's wrapping the turkey in the dark in foil. I didn't want her to see me, so I just crept back quietly to bed. She was working in the dark. And by the light of day, we had this feast. I tell you this because... When I remembered it, it made me think that I had no idea that morning how much I would love this woman and how much years later I would so miss her being gone. It's always that way. You befriend someone, and it's fun. You go to dinner, you play cards, you go to a ball game. It's fun, and you become friends, and you have no idea how much you will love that person years later and miss them so badly when they are gone. You have a sibling growing up, and it's fun, and you pick on each other and whatever it is that you do, but you have no idea how much love is there. You have no idea when people come and marry, I marry couples at this altar, and they all promise to love each other till death do us part. It's the absolute last thing on their mind. That seems just hopelessly in the future. But when you love someone like that and you lose them, yeah, you have no idea. You didn't know you could love them that much or miss them that much. We know that God works in the dark. God works in the dark. We have little parables of it at Christmas. Um, I remember when we lived up in Davidson. I'm not sure how old the girls were. We lived in a house there that had an upstairs. All the bedrooms were upstairs, and they tended to wake up too early, you know. And uh, so we would instruct them. We would say, okay, look at the digital clock next to your bed, and you may not come out of your room until the first digit says seven. So I'd be waiting out the hall at 6.59. Ding, seven. The door would open. I remember this year. My two girls bounded out, Sarah and Grace. And they come out, and they're all excited. And they go about halfway down the stairs, and they stop, and they look. And Sarah looks up at me, and she says, Daddy, there are bikes down here. 
which I knew <laughs> because I had been working in the dark. I tell you this because of the, that joy, that delight, if you want to know what the mighty God does, whoever you have loved and lost friends, the day will come when you'll look and say, wow, look who's here. Look who's here. And there will be so much joy. And there will be a great feast. And so much love and embracing. His name will be called Mighty God, Emmanuel, God with us. Thanks be to God. Friends, let us go to God in prayer together. Loving and gracious God, we gather at your church as your people to prepare the way of the Lord in this season of Advent. In the midst of so much noise and distractions, in the midst of so much contempt and conflict, may we prepare for your way together your way of hope, peace, joy, and love together as a family of God. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Your way leads us toward life, life worth living and life worth sharing. Your way leads us toward peace, peace that endures all things and for all people. Help us to, tr help us to trust in your gospel and believe in your hope everlasting hope that will have the final say in our lives and in your world. Lord, in your mercy, may your spirit bring about laughter in our lives and joy in your church, being with and beside one another. May we find comfort and strength in each other as we worship as the people of God. As we begin anew and renewed, convict us of our sins and shortcomings. Reveal our wounded places in need of healing. Lead us toward brokenness that only you can repair. Give us courage to do the divine works of reconciliation in our relationships, within our families, within our churches, within our communities, in your world. Lord, in your mercy. We lift up those who mourn this day we lift up those who've experienced loss. We especially lift up the family of Ruby Sparks who have finished her course in faith and now rests in your presence. Be with all those who mourn and grieve. So trusting in the assurances and the promises of God, we as your people are able to pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray as we pray in one voice. Our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Friends, as we come to the offering, I hope you don't mind me reminding you that about a third of our church's income comes in in the last month of the year. Know that it is needed. Know that it is transformative. We make church happen. It is the hope of the world. So friends, give and let us give generously.
Loving and gracious God, you are a bringer and giver of all good things in our lives. We offer a portion of which you first given to us for your glory and your good works. Dear God, please help us to show your love to all who are hungry. May we be good friends to them. Thank you for the meals we have each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us both now and forevermore.